Okay, so we are in the story. Anybody know what chapter we're in? Chapter 5. And as we have been going through the story, we are learning about the big picture of what God is doing. We're learning about what God began in Genesis with Adam and Eve, and we're going to go all the way to the end of the Bible in Revelation to see what God is doing there as he brings the fullness of his love together for all of eternity. But as we go through this story and as we continue to learn about what's happening in the lives of the people of God, but also how it parallels our lives, we're learning about how at times things don't go the way we want them to go. And there are times where things don't work out as we work really hard to make them work out. And you know, I think God could say the same thing. He's done an awful lot for this world. He's done an awful lot for us. He has plans. And they didn't work out. But God never gives up. When God has a plan and God has a purpose and God has a desire, he will make sure that that comes into fruition. He will make sure that that happens. And no matter how long it takes and no matter how hard it will be, God will still make it work. Right? That there are times in our lives where we feel like we're going someplace and we don't necessarily like it, or there's sometimes we go someplace and we don't know where we are. Um, how many of you have ever gone camping? How many of you have ever gone camping? Okay, many of you have gone camping. How many of you like camping? Okay, good number of you, all right. How many of you don't like camping? Yeah, that's me, all right. All right, I don't like camping. Um, but here we have the world's biggest camping trip in chapter 5 of the story. We have the world's longest hike. I mean, have you ever gone on a hike during a camping trip, and at first you're really excited, and you go on the hike, and then you wonder, my goodness, are we ever going to get there? And then, you know, it's really sad is eventually you get there, but then you've got to go back, right? And you wonder, my, this is taking a lot longer than I thought. This is a lot harder than I expected. And that's exactly what's happening with the Israelites. They're on this hike. They're on this camping trip. They left Egypt. They were delivered from Egypt by God. And Moses is leading them through the desert. But now they're going across this desert, and they're starting to have some hard times. They're starting to experience some things that are difficult. If you open up the chapter to chapter 5 in the story, it's on page uh, 59. We're going to see the three main characters of today's story. And this is the three main characters that are going to have to learn somehow to get along as they're on this camping trip. And it says there at the very beginning of chapter 5, on the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. So it's been three months, exactly three months since they left. And now we see as we continue, that after they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said. Now, right before we go into hearing what God said, we see these three main characters. They are, of course, God, and they are Moses, and they are the Israelites. And they have to learn somehow to get together and to get 
and to get along. Um, one of the things that um, you learn when you go camping is that life isn't perfect. And I remember the very first time that I went camping, and I'm not a person who wants to go camping or likes it, but my family was going, and if I didn't want to be alone, I had to go join them. And so we went camping, and as soon as we got there, we were getting out our tent, and it starts to rain. All right? This is my introduction to camping. And so I never put up a tent together, but I had to learn to put up a tent in the rain. And it was miserable. You know, and I was already saying, see, this is why we should never go camping. All right? But um, camping has many good things to it. There's many things you can learn in camping. Uh, there's a family therapist, a, a, an author. His name's Gary Smalley. And uh, Dr. Smalley's written quite a few books, and he's done a lot of research. And he's done research about families and about things that, that make families good. And so he did a survey and a study, and he found 30 families that were extremely satisfied with their marriage, extremely satisfied with their relationship. And so he, he did a survey with those 30 families, and he asked them many questions. And he found out there were two things that were very unique and distinct that every one of the families had. And the first one is that every family had a commitment to being together as a family. They had a commitment that they would work their schedules so that no matter what happened during the week, they would have plenty of family time. That meant that they would have to turn down opportunities of things that they could do. It meant that they also had to work schedules out so that the children could be with the parents and the parents could be with the children. And so that was the first thing that he found out, was that these families had a deep commitment to unity and union and time together with family. The second thing that he found out about these families is that all 30 of them love to camp. All 30 of them love to camp, all right? And he didn't like to camp himself. But he said, look, you know, if I've done this research and I want a happy family, then I have to also learn how to camp. And so he went camping to try to figure out why it is that these families enjoy camping so much. And he found out in two words. He said, they are planned disasters. Planned disasters. Because he said that when you go camping, you can be certain that there's going to be certain disasters. You can be certain there's going to be certain problems. And that these are going to make the family have to work things out. They're going to go in arguments together. You're in the car, and the kid's saying, how long are we going to be there yet? You know, the car may break down. It may rain as soon as you get there. Have to set up a tent. You may get lost on a hike. You may run out of water. You may not have brought enough food. The bear may have gotten into your stuff. You know, all kinds of things can go wrong. The weather can be miserable. It can not only rain, but it can be over 100 degrees, which was another time we went camping, another miserable time. All right? All right. But, but God uses those times to bring people together. And God was using this time in the desert to bring the people together. And he wanted to teach them something about his love for them and their need to love each other. You know, Andy, we've got to get a new thing here. I just have such a hard time with this one. It's always falling. I think maybe because my ear isn't the right shape. Something like that. All right. But anyway, okay, so forgive me for playing with my headset. All right. So we're going to see these three people trying to get together, trying to work things out. And in, whenever you go into a situation like camping where things can be sort of hard, one of the things you find out is everybody acts like themselves. They no longer try to be like anybody else. 
all right? They don't try to put on facades. They don't try to be really nice. If you're unhappy, you're unhappy. If you're, you're glad, you're glad. If you're mad, you're mad, all right? Those things that happen on camping trips. Well, we're going to see in this that these three people all act like themselves. So God's going to act like God. The people are going to act like people. And Moses is going to act like people. And so the first thing that we want to see is that God being God makes an agreement with the people to take care of them. And it's called a covenant. And so God being God establishes a covenant and he does this by giving commandments to the people so that they have their part in the covenant too. And so God being God establishes a covenant and commandments to rule them. All right? God's in control. God is God. And he is the one who is supposed to be the sovereign, and he is going to rule these people. And he is going to make sure that they understand who he is. And he wants them to know how much he cares about them, but he also wants them to know that they must obey him. And so he establishes a covenant. In Exodus 19, 3-6, and again on page 59, the Bible says this, this is what, now we're at verse, um, verse 3, this is what you are to say to the house of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession, although the whole earth is mine. You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. What does God do with this people? He's been with them for three months out in the desert. And he says that he's carried them. And he's carried them to bring them, why? Close to himself. And he says, therefore, I'm going to establish something with you that you might know my care for you. And it is my covenant with you. God's going to give a covenant to the people of Israel. And God's covenant is his promise to be faithful. God's covenant is his promise to be faithful. A covenant is very different than things that we're used to today. We're used to contracts, especially in a a, a nation like ours with lots of lawyers and with lots of politicians. We're, We're interested in contracts. And contracts are very, very different than covenants. A covenant is about my promise to protect you. A contract is about my need to protect myself. So contracts are about protecting myself. Covenants are about protecting you. Contracts are about what you're going to give to me. But covenants are about what I'm going to give to you. So covenants say, I'm going to take care of you. Contracts say, what are you going to do for me? And finally, and very importantly, a covenant is our guarantee that even if we are faithless, God will remain faithful. Because God is making a covenant. God is making a promise. Therefore, the covenant that God makes with his people is his guarantee, also our guarantee, that he'll be faithful. And so God's promise to be faithful is in his covenant. But he doesn't just do this for us, and he can't force it on us. And therefore, he has to also let us have a role in it. And that's where the Ten Commandments come into play. Is that God has given us the Ten Commandments. And we see them in Exodus 20, 12, 2 through 17. 
And these are the conditions of which the covenant life grows. In other words, yes, we have a covenant with God. We have a covenant where he promises that he's going to take care of us. But at the same time, there's something that we have to do. And that is we get to obey the commandments. These are God's conditions so that our lives will be the way God wants them to be. And so we have these 10 very well-known commandments, right? I didn't write them out for you, um, but I want to see how many do you remember. So anybody know what's number one? What's number one? You shall have no other gods before me. Okay, so good. Number, commandment number one begins with God, which is a, a good place to begin. No other gods but me. What's commandment number two? You shall not, not make any idols, any graven images. What's number three? You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. And what's number four? Remember, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And so God has these first four commandments that have to do with his relationship with him. That God wants us to have this good relationship with him. Therefore, the conditions of our relationship with God are connected to our obedience to the first four commandments. Now, the next six commandments deal with our relationship with one another. The next six commandments deal with our covenant relationship with God, but also as being part of a covenant community. Okay, so what's number five? Thou shalt honor, honor your father and mother. Right? Now, as you look at these, I tend to look at them as orders of things that we might call important. All right? things, that, things that are really things that we agree here in the world are really important. So the next one is, thou shalt not what? Kill. And I think that's very interesting, like right after, thou shalt honor your mother and father. Right? You know, thou shalt not kill like your children at the same time. All right? Thou shalt not kill. All right? And then, what's the next one? Thou shalt not commit adultery, right? So adultery, you'd say, well, okay, I didn't kill somebody, but I still did something grievous. So number, um, number what, that was number six was murder. Okay, what's number, um, what's number seven was adultery. What's number eight? Thou shalt not steal. Okay, and number nine? What's that? What? Okay, thou shalt not lie. And the last one? Thou shalt not covet. Okay, thou shalt not want to take something that belongs to somebody else. And so these others, these six, are our covenant commandments from God of how we live out our covenant relationship with God and with each other. And so God wants us to know that just like sunshine is needed to grow flowers, so is obedience to the covenants needed so that we will grow in our relationship with God. We're used to rules in our world. We understand that rules and conditions are important. And so we have these rules to protect us. We have these rules to guide us. Rules are necessary, though there isn't chaos. In sports, there's rules, right? So that people play fairly. And when you win, you know you won fairly. In education, you don't cheat right? So that you learn on your own. In marriage, you're faithful. Those are rules so that you can enjoy love. So these are conditions of our relationship with God. But what's important to know is that though these are conditions, it's not the same thing as earning. See, we don't earn God's love. 
by obeying the Ten Commandments. We simply live in the law that God gave us that makes things grow. So for example, okay, I don't earn my wife's love by being nice to her. Right? I don't earn her love. She doesn't earn my love. We already have this love. But for us to enjoy this love, we have to live by certain rules. We have to be faithful to each other. We have to be kind to each other. We have to be nice and sharing with each other. We have to live out the commandments so that our love will grow. If I want to enjoy the covenant commitment that I have with God, just like if I want to enjoy the covenant commitment that I have with Carol, I have to obey the commandments. I don't earn love. I simply enjoy and receive it because I'm living within the commandments of what God has given. These are God's promises to us that if we want to enjoy the happiness that he gives, that we will agree to walk with him. So he gives us these commandments. He gives us these conditions so that we can walk and know his love for us. But also, he wants us to know this love amongst ourselves with each other. And so God gives the people an opportunity. And the Bible tells us that the people seem to understand this at first. So they are willing to do what God says they are to do. Turn to page 62, please, of the story. And on the bottom of page 62. And so Moses tells these commandments to all the people. He tells them what they are to do. He's given them the Ten Commandments. And so after the transition there that's in the italics, you see, um, it's actually Exodus chapter 24 and verse 3, but it begins when Moses, and I'll read it. It says, when Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, everything the Lord has said we will do. Everything the Lord has said, we will do. And so the people make their promise. They make their promise to God. God has said, I love you and I give you these commandments. And the people say, we love you and we will obey. We will do what you have said. We will do everything that the Lord has said. But you know, it wasn't long. It wasn't long before the people changed their mind. And they decided that they weren't going to obey God. Remember, they had been in the desert for how long? For three, three months. And then God came to Moses, and he gave him the Ten Commandments. And so then after he received the Ten Commandments, he shared them with the people. And then the people said that they would obey them. And so after Moses heard that they would obey them, it says Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. Moses then also went up to the mountain again to get more instructions from God. The Bible says that he went up to the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. And while he was up there, he was hearing from God an extension of what the Ten Commandments would mean to the people. And so the people would learn more from God. And so Moses is there to write it down, what God has given to the people. But while he is up on the mountain, just days after they had said, everything the Lord has said we will do. While Moses is up on the mountain, what do they do? They get impatient. And they go, yeah, where'd Moses go? You know, that fellow, they call him that fellow. That fellow, we don't even know where he is anymore. He's disappeared. And so they go to the guy who's second in command, who is Aaron. And they say, Aaron, Moses, we don't know where he is. 
We don't know what happened to him. And so Aaron says, okay, I tell you what, let's do this. Let's make some gods while Moses is gone. Let's make some gods so that we know we're going to be okay. And so he tells the people to take off all their earrings, and guys and women both wore earrings. And you have a couple million people, so you got plenty of gold coming from all those earrings. And so they throw the earrings in a pot, and they make a calf. They make a golden calf. And then Aaron says to the people, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. And what's going on with Moses at that time? Moses is up on the mountain of Sinai, receiving from God more instructions about the Ten Commandments. And the first two, that thou shalt have no other gods before me, and you shall not make any idols, are being broken at that very moment by the people down in the campsite. And so God knows what's going on, of course, and he tells Moses that the people are being disobedient. And so Moses goes back down the mountain. Moses goes back down the mountain and he finds that the people are having this huge party, an orgy. And they are celebrating around this golden calf. And he is incensed and he throws the commandments and he breaks them on the ground. But then he comes to Aaron in Exodus 32, 21 through 24. And there he says, he said to Aaron, what did these people do to you? that you led them into such great sin. Do not be angry, my Lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. All right? Now, Aaron is acting just like Adam and Eve when they were caught in their sin. Remember in the very first study, what did Aaron, what did Adam and Eve do? They blamed each other. They blamed Satan. They even blamed God. And so this is the same thing that Aaron does. He blames the people. He blames the people for what had happened. And he gives them a stupid answer. Right? I mean, you know, it's child, it's like kindergartners. And as a parent, don't you know, one of the most frustrating things as a parent is to know you love your children, to give them really clear, loving rules, and then they break the rules. Right? And you're so frustrated because you s explained it to them. You said, you'll do this, right? They say, yes, we'll do this. And then they disobey. And there's, what is it that you didn't understand? You know? I love you so much. I want to do what's right for you. And yet, as sinful people, our children, and we, being children, did the same thing to our parents. We disobeyed them. And how frustrating it is to a parent to know that when you love somebody and you do something for them and you do what's right for them and yet they still turn away from you. What a bitter pill that is to swallow. But we learned something here from Aaron. We learn from his bad example what we ought to do. That instead of blaming other people, we must confess our sins. We need to confess our sins without making excuses. We need to say, this is what I did, and this is what I did wrong. 
and I take full responsibility for it. I need to be forgiven. We've all been in that place. We need to be forgiven. We need to know that what we did that was wrong can be fixed. And God will do that. But we can't do it on our own. We need somebody else to intercede for us. We need somebody else to come before God for us on our behalf. And so God has sent Moses. And so the people being people had sinned. But Moses being Moses goes and he intercedes for his people. Moses intercedes for his people. And he shows us two things that are very important about a person who intercedes. That when you have somebody who's going to intercede for your sin, they will have these two qualities that Moses had. And the first one is that Moses cared more about God than people. Moses cared more about God than people. He cared more about what God said than what the people said. He cared more about what God said than his own feelings. He cared more about how God felt about him than how the people would feel about him. He wasn't in it for the popularity. He was in it for the obedience. And so he came before God, and God told him what to do. If you turn to um, the, the story on page 66, I'll just read it. It's Exodus 32, 25 through 28, and sort of towards the top there. And this is what happens. Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of control and so become a laughingstock to their enemies. So he stood at the entrance to the camp and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites rallied to him. Then he said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Each man strap a sword to his side. Go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, each killing his brother and friend and neighbor. The Levites did as Moses commanded. And that day about 3,000 of the people died. And this is sort of harsh. And as we read this in the Bible, we go, wow, this is hard too. Why is it that God would do something like that? Why is it that God would instruct Moses to kill these people for their sins. One reason is that God is holy and that God has a righteous standard. And you and I find it harsh and hard to understand because we don't fully understand the depth of the pain of sin that there is to God. We don't understand the depth of his love for holiness and righteousness. And that there are times where God acts in extreme ways so that we might learn the lessons so that we don't have to pay the price that other people paid. And we also learn here from this intercessor, Moses, that he cared more about what God said than what the people would think. And so he said, who is on the Lord's side? And a tribe of the people called the Levites came to him and said, we are on the Lord's side. So Moses said, all right, if you're on the Lord's side, then do this. Take your sword and kill your brother, your friend, and your neighbor who has sinned against God. And I agree, it is hard, and it is harsh. But this is how God feels about sin. This is how, how important it is for God to alleviate sin out of the camp of the Israelites and how he wants to alleviate sin out of our own lives. 
Now, that's the first quality of an intercessor. But the second one balances it with grace and understanding and mercy. Because we see that Moses cared more about others than about himself. Moses cared more about the people than he did about his own safety. Moses cared more about the people's lives than he did about his own. In Exodus 32, right afterwards, verse 30 through 32, the Bible says, Now Moses had done and obeyed God, and then the people had died because of the swords of the Levites. But then it says, The next day Moses said to the people, You have committed a great sin. But now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now, please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. Moses cared more about the people than he did about himself. Moses would rather that he die with his people than that the people not walk with God. Moses wanted the people to walk with God. What makes an intercessor like this? What qualities are there in an intercessor? What does he know or what does she know that is so important that allows them to be able to say such a thing to God? Lord, Blot me out. Let me not go and be with you if they're not going to be with you. Let me suffer with them if they're going to suffer. Even though I may not deserve it, let me go the way they're going because I relate to them and I care about them. That's what it is. Moses so relates with the people and he loves them unconditionally. And he's unselfish to the mat. And I think most of all, he realizes that God is a gracious God and that God is a forgiving God and that God is a merciful God. And so Moses pleads on behalf of the people, even saying in so many words, God, I would rather die for them than have them die. That's the heart of an intercessor. And it is in these same two ways that we see that Moses is a picture of the coming Messiah. It is in this way that we see that Moses shows us what Jesus would be like when he came. For Jesus cares more about his father. And Jesus cares more about his father than his own self. And Jesus cares more about others than himself. He wants to do his Father's will. He wants to be what the other people cannot be. He wants to pay the price of their sins. And so Jesus comes into the world. And God has been God. And the people have been the people. And Moses has been the pe- Moses. But now Jesus, being God, fulfills the covenant. And he does so with his blood. That the people could not fulfill the covenant through their obedience. And so Jesus fulfills it with his blood. Again, we see a, a four-picture of this. We see a picture of it in the life of Moses and the people. If you go back to page 62, where we had read of the commitment that the people had made before God. It's sort of at the bottom of page 62. Moses had told them the Ten Commandments. 
And then we read again in verse 3, everything the Lord has said we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in bowls, and the other half he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. And so the people had heard of the covenant of God. But at that same time, when they had said, we will do everything that the Lord has said we will do, they then had a worship ceremony where Moses made a sacrifice of animals. And then he took the blood of those animals and he sprinkled it on the people. And he said that this is the seal of the covenant that you have made. This is God's seal to you. This is God's promise to you that over the covenant and over the book of the law will be the blood of the covenant. The blood will cover you. The blood will be the thing that seals me to you with this covenant. Well, the people had been disobedient. But God would be faithful. And years and years later, when Jesus came, he would fulfill the covenant that the people had made with God and God had made with the people. In Mark chapter 14, verse 24, verses that we, are, we say when we take the Lord's Supper, we take communion, we repeat these words of Jesus, where Jesus said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. That the blood of the covenant in Exodus, was the blood that was the promise that God would forgive the people and be with the people in the midst of this covenant community. And that when they would not keep the covenant, God would be faithful because he would see the blood over the covenant. And remember that he would send his Messiah, send his son to be the savior of the people. And Jesus came into the world and he fulfilled the covenant by shedding his blood. He fulfilled the law by living his life. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. And so the law was fulfilled in the life of Jesus. We could not obey. We could not fulfill the law of the covenant. We could not be perfect in obedience to the commandments. But Jesus is. And Jesus was. And when Jesus shed his blood on the cross, he, giving the blood of the covenant, established now a new covenant, as it says in Hebrews 9, verse 15. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. And so this covenant, this first covenant in the Old Testament that Moses received was not obeyed by the people. But Jesus came and fully obeyed the covenant. He died on the cross for the people. 
He shed His blood so that the blood of the covenant was cast over the commandments so that those who could not keep them could still be in relationship with God because God would see the sacrifice of His Son. God would see the sacrifice of blood and He would receive the people because He loved them. And this relationship is going to continue on through the rest of the Bible. That God has a commitment to you and to me to do what's right for us and to care for us and to love us no matter what. So that we seek to obey the covenant so we can enjoy the promises that he's given. But no matter where we are, no matter how far we've traveled away from God, no matter what desert we may find ourselves in, God is still there. And God can lead us out. Maybe you find yourself in a desert right now. And you wonder, God, am I ever going to get out? Maybe you find yourself caught with guilt. where You say, like, this sin, I just can't seem to get it off. But God can lead you out of the desert. God will forgive your sin. And that's why he sent his son Jesus. That there is a new hope for all of us in this new command that Jesus gives. In this new covenant that Jesus gives. And as we follow the journey of God's people, we follow our own journeys as well. That God strengthens us, that he guides us, that he leads us, and that he loves us so much that he gave us his commandments. But he also gave us his son so that if we could not keep the commandments, we would still be forgiven and enjoy the relationship of the covenant that he has. What a great time for us to just thank God for all that he's and to recommit ourselves to walking in this covenant commitment that God's given to us. To agree with God and to walk with him and to obey the rules that he's given that we might enjoy his rule over our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and for your kindness and for your goodness. We thank you that you give to us things that we don't deserve. We thank you that even though there are so many times Where we, being human, we also act like humans. Where we, being sinful, we act out our sin. We find ourselves at times in deserts where it's hot, where we're sweaty, where we're exhausted, and we wonder, will we ever make it? But you are there for us. We wonder, Lord, when we sin, can we ever be forgiven of this sin? But you sent your Son who died on the cross, to let us know that indeed you not only forgive us our sins, but you lead us out of the desert into a new land, a land of promise, a land of hope, a land of forgiveness, a place where we walk with you as you walk with us. Help us, Lord, to obey and follow your commands and enjoy your covenant. In Jesus we pray.